Oh, hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This weekend, Ben Aldridge joins me to talk about his starring role in a new movie, Knock at the Cabin. Kate Moss is on tour across the UK. Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries is the name of the show, and she joins me to talk about that. And Ben Daniels is on stage in a new West End production of Medea. Show chef Martha is back from her holidays and she has cooked up something that includes heart-shaped tortilla chips and chocolate. Not together. We have a brand new Valentine's Day competition. But before all of that, Maria and I put our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to kick us off. There's no link, she's just here. <laughs> was there no link today? Well, I was going to say Tom Petty here's Miss Petty, but then I thought that was that was a bit mean. That was a bit petty. So, yeah, so I just I just went here's Maria, have her. But you just decided not to scrub my link. Yeah, I just went there. There she is. Here yeah. she is, boys. People use that link to get a cup of tea <laughs> and settle down. That's good. I like that. I like that you're mixing it up, Graham. Yeah, yeah. You uh, what colour is? Is that burnt orange? Well, my skin. <laughs> uh, my cardigan is orange and my shirt has got flashes of orange. Oh, yeah. Do you see? I was a little bit matching. And, then, and your, li- your lipstick also picks up oh, that. Sh- oh, sh- do you know what? It's a sort of orangey coral, isn't it? It's a coral. Coral, I think it's more rather than burnt. I don't like the word burnt in relation to anything to do no. with me. Thank no. you very much. So I uh, prefer coral. Yes. Um, now, I watched your show. I'm so heartened, Graham. I know we're not meant to mention these things anymore. But to see four women on the sofa um, and also... So lovely, um, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> well, this review's going very well. Uh, Johannes Radebay? Johannes Radebay. Is it Johannes or Johannes? Johannes. I like to call him. But can I just say it was lovely because for me personally, I like to see what their people are wearing. And I did love Julianne Moore's earrings and necklace set, gold. Worth having a look if you haven't seen the show on the oh, TV. Oh, Salma Hayek's shoes. Salma Hayek's shoes. Now, were they Westwood, Vivian Westwood? I don't th- I think they might have been Gucci. Uh, I think. Gucci has gone down the massive platform route, haven't they? I, I think mean, so. I mean, I did think you were going to get her up to dance at some point, and I thought, in those shoes? I don't think so, lady. And then also Lizzo's silver nails of joy. Yes. How, uh, how nice is Lizzo? I really liked her. I really liked her. It almost makes me want to watch the Brits to see her performance <laughs> almost, tonight. But, yeah. I mean, I always think, ah, oh, can I sit through this or shall I just do best bits? No, but also that thing about the Brits is, because I, you know, I work in a radio station. You I have work a TV, in a radio station. You have a, a television show. show you have all these people on and, and you yet, don't know who any of them are. But honestly, I watch the Brits and I feel older than God. I, I really don't know who they are. I mean, I know some of the people are, but, you know, whole categories will go by where I'm going, nope, none of them. But then maybe it's your chance to educate yourself, Graham. Well, that is true. But I might not take that chance. (laughs) Would you prefer to educate yourself in other ways? Like, for instance, have you heard... Honestly, I have heard of these, but only yesterday. Yeah. So Michelle Visage, my good friend Michelle Visage, she's hosting the Brit's Red Carpet... Okay. okay, so what what are you wearing type so, of thing? Yeah, and she was genning up on all the bands yesterday. So she was going, oh, you must like Fant- Fontaine's DC. Yeah, I've heard of them. Have you? No. <laughs> 
I'd never heard of them. They're Irish. But now you do know them, so that's yeah. good. And they sound quite good. They're an alternative Irish alternative band with a poetic sensibility, an air of gloom, and a knack for writing killer tunes. That sounds good, doesn't it? Mm, air of gloom. I oh, no, see, air of gloom. I lo- that yeah, is, well, that's that, oh, that's Irish. a catnip to me, yeah. Air of gloom. Uh, Come uh, on, Fontaine's DC. Um, and also, I should say, Shania Twain, or Shania Train, because um, you've got a train not named after her. Didn't she have a fabulous sort of fringed gold fringe jacket? Yes, it was like, uh, you can take the girl out of the country. Yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. It was a bit yeah. like, oh, I wonder what she should she does for a living. Uh-huh. <laughs> country singer. Is she a hedge fund manager? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Paul, you know, that, you... That, that album is number one. It got to number one. Because when, oh. we, when we recorded the show, it was just in the running for a, a Queen of Me. If you haven't heard that album, it is full of hits. Well, it's the, the really... song that you played, Giddy Up, oh. I mean, that's a, that's a right there. I yeah. can see people line dancing to that. Oh, yeah. You, particularly, I can see line dancing. I do like During line dancing. During the Brits. I love line dancing. <laughs> I know, I'm mad about it. What were you going to say about a movie? Uh, what was it going to... Oh, it, I'm allowed to say this? Oh, yes, you I don't are. Think, I don't think I signed anything. Uh, we're, we're, our show... Your televisual show on the BBC? Is going to be in a movie. Is it? Yeah, we filmed it on Thursday. I can't say any more, but all I say is the audience, right? You can see the audience, the, the kind of... Um, the scales falling for their eyes. What, about how television works? Yes, because because <laughs> me pretending to be a chat show host... It's very similar to you being a chat show host. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and me talking to someone pretending to be a pop star about a song we haven't heard <laughs> is very similar that to me talking to exciting an for... actual pop star about a song uh, they have heard. By talking about it, by the way, I'm being told in my ear the contract is now cancelled. Oh, it's good while it lasted. <laughs> Oh, well. Film star Graham Norton. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. No. He's he's ruined it for himself. Virgin Radio. Have you got a letter? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay, (laughs) I got two letters. Okay, here we are. Dear Graham and Maria, I've got this friend that I'm having quite a few issues with. She's a friend of mine and my partner, bracket, she was my partner's friend first. And two years ago, when she was going through her divorce, we were really there for her and helped to get through it. Since then, she's got a new girlfriend and she's turned into someone who is very rude and just not very nice at all. I hate being around her and just want to forget her from my life because it causes me too much upset about how much she's changed and how she's not been there for us, even though we were really there for her. However, she is my partner's only friend at the moment, so not seeing her isn't really an option because we sometimes go out as a foursome. This has given me a lot of anxiety and I want to find some peace in my mind about it. Any help at all would be really appreciated and that is from Leanne in Bromley. Thank you, Leanne, for writing to us. Um, I'm a bit perplexed by this letter because it's like she was... All I can say, Leanne, is, you know, when you're helping somebody and you're nice to them and helping her get through her divorce, etc., it's not a kind of you give, I give thing. You do that because you care for somebody. And so when you say she's not really there for us, even though we were really there for her, why do you need her at the moment? I mean, you go out together as a foursome occasionally. I would say she's your partner's friend, only friend. That's a bit odd as well. Tell them to get some more friends. Um, why don't they just go out together uh, and you don't have to go if it's causing you such a lot of anxiety? Because 
I'm not quite sure how she's gone from really nice or, you know, needy, probably, you would say, to rude and unpleasant. What does her girlfriend think of this new rudeness and reaction? I, I, I sort of, I don't really know what's happened here. What's gone on? Is there some jealousy going on? That's what I would say, Leanne. What do you think, Graham? Well, I think Leanne needs to compartmentalise this and just go, this is my partner's friend and occasionally we see her and I don't like her. <laughs> There you are. There you go. That's that. I mean, I, I just... It's very... I'm with you. Yeah, but she I, did like her once. Yeah, but the puzzling bit is that this woman has changed so dramatically. I mean, that sounds odd to me that someone... I mean, I get that sometimes people change a little bit, and particularly if you're in a new relationship, you become a slightly different person because you're yes. trying to reflect that person and, you know, your life has become slightly different. So maybe it's uh, the new girlfriend's bad influence. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't like you, Leanne. And, and Leanne doesn't like her, so that's well, good. Well, I mean, you know, QED. But then don't go to the things because well, I don't go know. to the things and just, well, I've, tonight I had dinner with someone I don't like very much. Suck it up, you mean? Yeah. Just, you know, that's life. Your partner is friends with this woman and your partner doesn't seem to have a problem. This is all, this seems like it's all coming from Leanne. And also, well, the partner can't have a problem because only friend. Yeah. Uh, and, and <laughs> don't also, want to lose that only friend. How but did that happen? <laughs> well, that's that's a weird thing. You don't, I mean, I, do I? I, I, don't... I in fact, if Leanne, if I was you, I'd focus on that. Why am I going out with someone who only has one friend who's not nice? That's odd. I think this friend, though, is being unpleasant to Leanne, but not to the partner. And I think maybe there's some sort of element of jealousy or... I don't know. She's be, she's rude to, to Leanne, but the partner doesn't seem to have any rudeness yes. flung his way, or at least she doesn't mention it. I feel Leanne needs to do a deep dive into her own life, and she slightly missed her actual problem. And I would say... Which is? That she's... Going She's out with dating someone, someone with, one friend. with one friend who's not nice. It's not that the this person isn't like I think Leanne thinks the problem is this person is strange and isn't nice. No, the problem is very oddly you find yourself in a relationship with someone who has a solitary friend. Is he having an affair with her or she? We don't know. Um, or she? No, her partner. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, know. we don't know. We don't know. It's twenty twenty three. I know. I, I'm I, so I'm slightly stumped by this because sorry, Liam, but I feel there's not sufficient information for my nosiness to kick in. <laughs> well, I think all all Leanne, in in the short term, all Leanne needs to do is suck it up and just go. You know, sometimes we go out with this woman. I don't like her. Uh, boom. End of. But ultimately, Leanne needs to poke around and find out what happened to her partner's. Friends. She must have had more friends than this as, you know, life went on. Or, you know, is it Leanne who has kind of corralled her away and, and stolen her from her friends? We don't know. It's a it's a mystery. I wonder if the listeners have any more ideas. And my favourite responders will be receiving Waitress and Partners, number one, blonde chocolate and salted caramel dreams. Tell us more. Well, it's a chill dessert for two. Ah, caramelised white chocolate mousse filled with salted caramel sauce and shortcake biscuit dipped in milk chocolate and topped with a dark chocolate heart. Hello. Decorate it with chocolate powder and edible decoration. Well, that couldn't be more vague. <laughs> you can eat that. <laughs> it's edible. <laughs> it's also, by the way, available within our Valentine's Day dine-in for two meal deal. Or, very possibly, eat both of them yourself. Yeah. 
because they look delicious. Victoria from London says, I would recommend you try out some hobbies as a couple and meet more couple friends. That should give you more options within your friendship circle so you have more variety on who you go out with. Even if you still have to go out with her, it should be less frequent and with more friend options. It's very sensible. Yes, just see less of this person. And if you're busy, you can't see them. Lauren from Norwich. I suspect that this isn't the only time Leanne has had a problem with her partner's friends, which explains why they only have one friend remaining. I think Leanne needs to back off and allow her partner to have a relationship with whom they please, without interference, or they will end up with no friends at all. I I mean, some things are going on. You know, I wonder, did Leanne's partner have more friends before they met Leanne? It's just a question. Just throwing it out there. Geraldine from Peterborough says, I think this girl is in love with Leanne's partner and she's jealous of Leanne. I think she needs to confront her and say, why are you being mean to me? I don't like spending time with you. What have I done to you? Well, that would certainly bring it to a head. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it would. If people were logical, that is what would happen. Someone would just stand there and go, why are you being horrible? I don't like you. But we're not like that. We we like to complicate things and, and find longer ways to our destination. Karen in Hereford. There's lots of ways around this, such as letting your partner see their friend on their own. But you haven't talked to your partner to sort this out? What's holding you back there? That seems to be where the difficulty is. Reflect on this and move forward from there. Interesting. Uh, I tell you what, I'm going to give the waitress and partners number one blonde chocolate and salted caramel dreams to uh, Lauren from Norwich for his, her insightful advice. Graham's guide. Mm, oh. uh, second, <laughs> second letter, please. Okay. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, Five years ago, my wife, daughter and I moved out of London to a nice, quiet town around three hours away. We are lucky enough to be able to work from home, so have been able to keep our jobs, which we love, and move to a picturesque country town so we can live out our dream life. All right. We have no family (laughs) around here, but we made it work and have built our own super community and support group here. Years ago... We always spoke to our friends from London about moving here with us when they could afford it. And it's what we joke about when we see them every six months or so. We love them, but we have learned to appreciate them in small doses. Well, they recently called us saying they have finally got enough money for a deposit and there are a few properties in our town they are looking at. They already have one child and another on the way. Plus, they would be nowhere near their family, so we would be their only form of support. Things are so perfect here for us and I don't want them to move in and ruin it, as they can be a bit much. How can we get them not to move here without losing them? And that is Martin, originally from London. I think it details that in his letter. Yes, he has moved. Did he move? I think he moved. I think he moved. Yeah, Yeah. I think he moved five years ago to an idyllic place three uh, hours from London. Martin, bit cross with you. Um, You had these friends in London. You wanted them to come and move there when you were new to the area and you didn't know anybody and you were going, oh, please, can I have my London friends because we've made such a 
a big life change. And now you've decided that they're a nice in small doses and you don't, I don't want them there. I mean, Martin, you cannot say to people, no, don't move. No, you can't say that, but there must be ways around this. Well, uh, the, the only way around it is because they've joked about it for six months. They've been there five years. They were always going to plan to do that. You've talked, you've wanged on about how marvellous your life is. That is your mistake here, Martin, yes. originally from London, that you have wanged on. Life is so great here. We don't have the smog. We don't have slightly smugly. And now it's come home to roost. So the, the only way you can do this is to say, you know what? We don't really, because we can't help with the baby. I think you're being quite selfish, Martin. Or, or just say we're putting a brave face on it. Actually, we're miserable. You can't suddenly turn coat like that. You can't turn turtle. Or gazump sort of... them. Gazump them every time Ooh, they run out of my house. Stop it. Stop it. No, you either lose them as friends, because you only see each other every six months anyway, and you don't. You only want small doses of them. Really, you can't talk about but your it friends is like that. Weird. Or you, or you just suck it up, and I think just suck it up. You cannot bogart a whole area, Martin. Originally from London, you can't say this is my area. You cannot come. But do you remember? Um, I sure I've told you this before. The little town in Ireland where we were, there was a, a nice family moved from Canada, and they bought a little bank bungalow on a little back street. It was like you know n- nowhere. It was just you know. Is this up, when you were young? Yeah, when in I was Bandon, a kid. Yeah. In, in, uh, and uh, they moved from Canada, and that was fine. And then that's fine. Their next door neighbours yes. from Canada moved. Their next door neighbours in Canada moved, bought the bungalow beside them on this little country lane, without that- asking, without saying. Do you think this is a good idea? I mean, you would lose it, wouldn't you? Well, I don't know what I need to know about that now. I feel I need to but know. But that's like, I mean, that's like, because you joke about these things. I'm sure as they went to Ireland, they were going, oh, we're missing it so much. Tell you what, you should come. You yeah, should come you to should Ireland. Come. I know, but they and have actually... suddenly, oh, they're, oh, here we are. What, what? But Martin's family, you know, had no family where they moved to, but they made it work and they built their own super community and support group. That's what, super community. That's what people do. You kind of move somewhere, you're a bit lonely, and then you make friends with people and then you go oh now we're happy you you spoke to your friends from london about moving here when they could afford it you know yes, you actually the, said but, you should come here yes but the problem is he doesn't want them to come now so he's what he's asking is how can i stop them you're just saying he can't stop them I am, i'm saying there must be and i bet you the listeners will have wait a minute good i'm saying ways. you can't stop them without losing them as friends and you can't be can't take over a whole area you must just say to them when they come, oh, we can't help with the baby. That's what Martin's worried about, is that the, he's got to be a support group for them, like people were for him when but he also, first arrived. But also, Maria, they can be a bit much. <laughs> Martin's a bit much. Do you know what? That's how I'm feeling at the moment. So we, just quickly, what is your um, what is your way of stopping them coming? Well, I don't, I, I'm too stupid to think of one, but I know oh, wait, the but listeners... You're not too stupid no. to think of one. You get paid to do this bit. The listeners were going to have... I've said gazump all their houses or, you know, send, send them a survey saying the entire town is a floodplain, that kind of thing. But... I'm sure people have cleverer ideas than that to stop them moving. There must be. Well, and again, my favourite responder will be getting the Waitrose and Partners number one blonde chocolate and salted caramel dreams. It's a chill dessert for two or one hungry person. OK, what clever ideas have the listeners got? Uh, Dave and Gloucester says, Martin, here's what you do. Encourage your friends to move, but drop into the conversation that your property has increased in value and that you're looking to move up the property ladder to another town some way away. Uh, they, that might make them think again. If it doesn't, then you would just have to suck it up and hope that they find a new support group when they arrive. See, Dave, I would tell them your house has gone down in value. Uh, that for some reason, 
house prices in the area are a really bad investment. Leave Medinburgh. If your friends have young children, they'll make other friends really easily anyway. And you'll probably find they won't really need you in the long term. They'll go and be friends with people who appreciate them rather than just tolerate them every six months. J'accuse. Okay, leave from Edinburgh. Thank you very much. Liz and Simon are in Oxford. Martin could tell his friends that he's thinking of moving back to London. This may put them off or make them welcome. Introduce them to a new friend circle, ideally ones with children. I mean, as the thing, you don't have young kids, Martin. So they are, but you know, by default, going to be kind of sucked into a different social circle, schools, committees, all that sort of stuff. And also, if you've got two little kids, how nice to move to the country. So it seems a bit churlish to stop them. But anyway, uh, Angela's in Southampton. I think the couple need to sit down and be honest with their friends and tell them that when they visit every six months, they make an effort to make it as much fun as possible, but the rest of the time they have an ordinary life. Explain this is how it will be if they move. This is the advice my mom gave to me when all my friends were moving back to Ireland in the 90s, and it really helped. Well, there you go. Yes, explain to them that it's no fun living in the country. <laughs> <laughs> it's very boring. Uh, I, it's difficult to know what to do. Um, bu- 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 uh, I'm. Do you know what? I'm going to say giving the Waitrose and Partners number one blonde chocolate and salt caramel dreams to Liz and Simon from Oxford. There you go. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my first guest today. Uh, You probably remember him from uh, Fleabag. Now he's gone all Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. He (laughs) is starring in... uh, He's actually... You're actually starring... You're not just in it. You're starring... (gasps) He's a star, he's a star. A star. Uh, knock at the cabin. His name is Ben Aldridge. Hello. Hello. Uh, so have you moved to America? No, no, I haven't. No, I've not moved to America. I've spent. I've been spending a bit, spending a bit more time out there, but I've not moved. I'm not making that move. What, uh, do, I mean, do, so how did you end up in this film? Um, well, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big, it's a proper big American film. Yeah, how did I end up in it? In a very straightforward way, really. The email arrived in my inbox saying... M. Night Shyamalan's next film. There are a couple of audition scenes. Wasn't allowed to read the script, obviously, or know anything about it no. at all. Did an audition tape, then Zoomed with him for an hour and a half, which was very intense, but he still wouldn't tell me any de- more details. And then uh, three days later, I got a phone call from him saying, I'd like you to be in this film. You have 24 hours to read the script. The link will explode after six hours. Once you click <laughs> on it, you've got to decide. And no one else, like none of my agents or anyone was allowed to read it. So a very mysterious process and, yeah, and a very mysterious film so tell us who you play you're married to Jonathan Groff Groff yeah yeah okay so we are a couple um I guess the pitches we're, we're a couple go- going away on a weekend with our uh daughter and um a home invasion happens which is obviously kind of quite a famous subgenre of of horror films but this of course has an M. Night twist and the twist being not that I'm giving the, the no no this the, happens very early on yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. not that I'm giving it away um, but the family are tasked with uh, the ultimate ultimatum of saving themselves or saving humanity wow yeah. and and uh, the stakes are quite high 
Yeah, the stakes are <laughs> epically high. Yeah, yeah, it's relentless. And, uh, and did you have to do like a chemistry read with Jonathan or or the no, little girl? No, we didn't. I mean, usually, uh, usually you would have to do that. But at night, I don't know. He's very intuitive, and and um, yeah, I think he just felt that we would have this chemistry, which luckily we did. Day one, we, there was an instant rapport between the three of us, actually. And Kristen is like, she's the she's it's her first film. She's never acted before. And how, she old, is, how old is she? Because she's, she's playing she's, very young. She's eight. Okay. But she is the best kid ever. We had such a good time with her. She calls herself a sass queen. She would, she would actually would. She was very mean to me, but in a, in a you know in a in a fun way. And because she was on set, did that make the work days quite short? Because no, oh oh <laughs> no, she had she had a double who they they're just like very careful about those hours. But so wh- wherever no, we were shooting, we were shooting long days strapped to a chair for eight weeks yeah and yeah m9 uh Shyamalan was on the chat show and he was saying that he he fil- he's one of those rare directors that he films it sequ- sequentially yeah so does that make it easier for you as an actor yes yes this did the, we shot most of this in sequence and that made it a lot easier i have to say because the because the stakes i mean the stakes are huge right from the beginning but because the tension grows throughout if we'd been jumping around in that it would have been quite easy to get lost within it i think and also because the scenes are kind of they're strangely similar. We're in these chairs for the majority of the film. It's really unusual like that. But yeah, it really helped to shoot it chronologically massively. And it's almost told in real time. I mean, there's some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are some. There are some gaps, but it's yeah. It's over two. It's over two days, and yeah, the, the significant events are told. Yeah, real time. And uh, the the four strangers are uh, David Batista. Yeah, it, it's sort of a, a different sort of role for him, isn't it? Very different. Yeah, I when I was auditioning for it for night on this Zoom call, I thought Dave because the, the email I got just said uh, it was starring Dave Batista, and I thought that I was auditioning to be his um, younger boyfriend. I thought he was playing Jonathan's part. <laughs> so well, I, was, that's a... I was saying on the. <laughs> I was saying on the Zoom call tonight, I was like, it's a real departure for Dave, you know? He's playing this, like, sensible dad. And he was like, what? What? You think, what's happening? I was like, oh, right. Oh, it all makes sense now. It really was influencing the way I was playing it as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it is a really different character for for Dave. I think no one... I think for him, he saw it as kind of his biggest acting opportunity yet, I think, because it kind of is completely different from the kind of action that he's known for. Yeah. And also, for an actor, it must be quite... Uh, for him, you you know, you are so your physicality you are so the way you look yes yeah. yeah he's he's huge i used to feel tiny i'd give him like little hugs in between in between takes sometimes just to you know no i must say i'm surprised to see how tall you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's and he's a giant he's, yeah. a, he's an a, a actual giant but um yeah lovely a lovely gentle giant at that i have to say um so and uh, so knock at the cabin that is out in cinemas now yes have you seen it with an audience i have yeah i i would usually hate to watch anything with an audience i have to say find it quite difficult to watch myself but this film you know knight is so obsessed with the audience he's making it for he's so obsessed with them having an incredible movie going experience he wants them to be excited thrilled he wants them to feel everything the characters are feeling and so i was like i think this i think this will be a good one to watch with people and it, and it was and it, and it's really interesting he'll be like he'll know this is going to be a laugh line this is going to be a jump line and it's really interesting to watch the film back and for him to be right about all of those things you know yeah he i mean he's he's intense but he is amazing yeah, yeah. he's an intense master i suppose <laughs> <laughs> but you have another movie coming out later in the year yeah uh, called spoiler alert yeah uh, uh, I mean, 
I was just saying to you during the break, it's described in my notes as a romantic comedy. I've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... um, I mean, it's another intense one. I mean, you do laugh. You do laugh somewhere along the way, don't you? Yes, you do. Yeah, and I I mean, it's called, spoiler alert, the hero dies. And you find out within the the first frame of the movie that it it involves me passing away. But it's based on um, the uh, memoir by Michael Osiello. And it's about him and his... uh, partner's um, relationship really it's about them meeting in 2001 and it chronicles their life together until 2014 where Kit uh, battled cancer and uh, passes away so it sounds it's, uh, it doesn't sound comic at all but there is a lot there is a lot of laughter in there yeah. it's a really beautiful film and the book is also very funny as well so um, yeah and also I thought what I was really impressed by was that in the film they left in a lot of the messiness of the relationship. Yes, yeah. It's. I think often in like rom coms, particularly, we're 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 given a really rose tinted version of, yeah. of love. It's kind of perfect, isn't it? And and this, I think, really, yeah, it really examines the the difficulty of loving someone over a long period of time. I think you know they they and it also gives you the the beautiful moments of them falling in love and all of that. But it does. It's it's balanced with how challenging relationships can be as well. I think. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention, uh, if people want to see your beautiful face, it's on the cover of Attitude magazine. It is, yes. On newsstand now. Not just my face. It's, but no, it, it's, no, no, just it's a full body shot. It's a, <laughs> sorry. There are some legs in there as well. Okay. Um, in trousers? Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, shorts. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yes, it is on newsstands, my face, etc. <laughs> Uh, because uh, you came out on Instagram. Was it Instagram you came out on? Yeah. In 2020. So, you know, and... How how big a decision was that? I mean, you know, you're working with people like Jim Parsons and mm. Jonathan Groff, mm. who've kind of, you know, they're out there working away. Yeah. Uh, did you did you have meetings with your teams, or was it just kind of Ben made a decision? Ben made a decision. Yeah. Ben went ahead. Of me. I'm not going to talk about myself in the third person. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I made a decision, and it's something that had kind of been percolating for a long time. I think, and we were in our first lockdown. I think a time of introspection, and we were all reckoning various things that were happening around the world, and. And um, it's something that I, yeah, had long considered. In my 20s, I was definitely given information that it would hinder my career. And I, you know, absorbed that via osmosis, but also some direct conversations. And then I just, I really just did it for myself. I did it, I did it, I pressed kind of the post button um, in a kind of, with calculated risk in a way. I, I thought it still might affect my career or my opportunities and thought, well, actually, do you know what? I, I'm more interested in being authentic and, and claiming my identity than, than I am. Uh, if anyone doesn't want to work with me because I'm gay, then I don't want to work with them. Well, either. that's what I always think. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was strange. Even though I was out in my personal life as well, any of you knew me, you knew I was gay and and it just felt like a little last uh, a little last straw, something I was hiding behind. And actually I didn't realise how significant it would be. I definitely felt like I was breathing in my breathing cleaner air and my shoulders seem to drop and it's it's been very transform- transformative but I I don't think I realized that it would be quite as much as it has been. Yeah. And what 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 was the re- what was the reaction of the industry and and people? It see it seems like you're more successful than ever. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange one. I I just seem to suddenly be in consideration for um, queer and gay parts, and I think that's because well, I think it's twinned with the fact that we're we're at a time we're kind of riding this wave of progress where we have got more content about queer characters as well. Yeah, and. It just happened to coincide, I think, with also this kind of hot debate around casting about authenticity and should gay people play gay characters. And um, 
Yeah, so it's been very fortunate. And someone, someone said to me, "Do you think the universe is rewarding you for coming out?" I don't really look at it like that, but I think if you're if you're interacting with the world in a more authentic way, the the world is going to interact with you in a different way back. And um, yeah, it just it just feels like it's been so beneficial for for me personally and for my life. Yeah, and uh, and so what's the plan? Are you going to st- stay here and occasionally go to America for work? I'm going or? to win a few Oscars, Graham. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> the plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll go wherever work takes me. I love love to travel with it, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm not sure. Well, listen. Good luck with everything. Thank and you. Congratulations on your success. Uh, I really enjoyed. Spoiler alert: that comes out later in the year. Knock at the cabin, uh, which is. Uh, Quite a ride. It's a, it is an M Night Shyamalan film. Yeah, it's it's what it's what you whatever you think that experience is going to be like is it that is, yeah. it is that yes, yes. and that is in cinemas now. Uh, ben Aldridge, thank you so much for coming to see thank us. You Lovely so much for to see me. you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Uh, welcome to the show, multi-million best-selling author Kate Moss. But you're here tonight uh, or today as a performer. I know. I know. I'm straying into your area, Graham. But like, giving it a go. But I'm looking at your tour. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's thirty-something days. It's also not for somebody in their sixties for the first time. <laughs> I mean, not sixties for the first time, but doing a one-woman show for the first time. But you've got to give it a go, haven't you? Yeah. Well, Prue yeah. Leith is off. Is she? Prue you know? is off. You know, we've yeah. talked about that. You know, she's so doing. We're her children. Thing. We're children <laughs> we compared are to her. Babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did this idea come about? Well, this, um, you know, my new book, Worry Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, which is just a celebration of some incredible women, nearly a thousand indeed, uh, from history. And it's kind of a detective story and it's a bit about my own family history. And then a theatre producer just said, have you ever thought of doing a one-woman show about this? And obviously they'd obviously heard me rabbiting on somewhere else. And the idea of doing an actual show, you know, with an interval, Maltesers and Prosecco for the audience, obviously. Obviously. Uh, Magic, moonlight, music, props. I just thought, I love theatre. And I just thought, you know, I'd really like to challenge myself and see if I can manage that. So it's a proper all singing, all dancing show. I'm not in costume as such. But I've got all the bells and whistles, and it's going to be great, I think. So there are audiovisual elements. There are, monsieur. <laughs> there are, there's video, <laughs> and, but, you know, projection. Oh, wow. I know, and all of this kind of stuff, because obviously I can't... You know, when I'm talking about an amazing woman, one of the women in the show is the great Lily Parr, the, you know, the most important English footballer, I would say, possibly of all. You know, she scored a 1,000 goals between 1919 and 1956, and she should be... Everybody should know her name. and But I want to be able to have some footage, you know, of, of the famous Goodison Park match in the 1920s and all of that. So there'll be lots of... It's not a book event. That's that. That's the point. It's not a book event. It sort of starts with lightning and thunder. And oh my goodness. I know there's a gravestone on the stage. Wow. I know. I know. I mean, not a real one. Obviously no. a prop, you know. And, and <laughs> can, presumably, because the book obviously would take you know, 9, 10, 11 hours <laughs> yes. uh, to do. Uh, so presumably you've whittled it down. I've whittled Ple- it down. Please, God, King. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's going to be like you know, one of those things, I'm going to read Paradise Lost for the best of time. Uh, no, I've whittled it down uh, to about 20 women, you know, and two, you know, an interval in the middle, before and after, as it were. Lots of fun facts, you know, lots of did you knows. Yeah. But kind of 20 key women um, who kind of tell the story of all of us about all the women that should be better known have been left out of the history books. But the did you knows are, are fun, uh, you know. So 
Bonnie and Reed, you know, these are pirates, 18th century pirates. They'll be on the stage. My new novel, The Ghost Ship, is basically lesbian pirates, and that comes out in July. So I've been very interested in pirates. But nobody knows, really, that they are the inspiration for Kira Knightley's character in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, right. Exactly. You see, that is fun, isn't it? And Who's that Irish female pirate? Oh, a Granier O'Malley. Oh, OK. Yeah, yes, yeah. you know, and, and she was brilliant, actually. And she's she's in my book. Um, and she will, of course, come in a bit as well. Um, the one that I really love is um, this woman called Josephine Cochran. Um, and she, in the 1890s, left her kitchen in Chicago, clearly really had had enough, <laughs> went to the shed at the end of her garden and invented the dishwasher. <laughs> Wow. And she actually said, if nobody else is going to invent a dishwashing machine, I better do it myself. You know, ask a busy woman. Yeah. You know, so the show's just going to be great fun. And everywhere I go, I love England and I love visiting new places. So some of the places I know and some are brand new. But everywhere, the audience will be able to nominate their woman that they'd like to make better known. Um, I'm not quite sure how the technology is going to work, but I've been assured it will work. Of course (laughs) it will. Of course it will work. (laughs) Because, you know, everywhere you go, there'll be some incredible woman that I haven't heard of because they're not in the history books. And that kind of local audience, everybody where I go, being able to say, but you you surely should have X, Y and Z in your book. Yeah. You know, so I'm really looking forward to that and just meeting lots of incredible people. And presumably the reason why these women who have created history over the years, the reason we don't know them is because women weren't writing the history books. That, monsieur, is exactly right, because what... Uh, you know, history as a discipline is both incredibly ancient, you know, Herodotus, you know, right back then. But equally, as a modern discipline, it's quite new. But almost all the power of writing was vested in, in religious institutions, which women weren't in. Um, so there are, you know, what I discovered, it is a detective story. And the show is kind of a detective story because I discovered during lockdown, my own great grandmother was a really famous novelist. I didn't know. You're kidding. No, I know. Well, that hadn't been passed down through your family. Well, there was this thing, Graham, about somebody called Lily Watson who wrote. It was always kind of in inverted commas, as if it was saying, well, she does the flowers in church on a Sunday. Yeah. Little thing. But turns out, 14 novels, hundreds of articles, was the main correspondent for Girls' Own Paper, very religious, wrote children's stories, wrote devotional verse. When her most famous novel, The Vicar of Langthwaite, and I'm delighted that I'm going to be up in that part of the world, uh, was published, the Prime Minister wrote to the Times to say, hurrah, a new novel from Lily Watson. And yet she doesn't appear in any biographies of Victorian writers. She's completely disappeared from the record. And I thought, a woman like that can disappear. What about everybody else? Wow. You know, and so it's about, the show is partly a love letter to history, but it's also saying, you should know these women. So this is another one. Eunice Newton Foote, great name, obviously, in 1856 discovered global warming. 1856, she discovered that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere caused the atmosphere to heat, and that's what became known as greenhouse gases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had to sit in the audience and listen to the secretary of the Smithsonian, a man, present her findings and not even mention her name. Wow. Now, so there's a lot of those stories, but the yeah. show is... It is for everybody. It's for girls and boys, men and women. It's not um, as kind of a rant. It's about saying... 
you know, that wonderful Shirley Chisholm, you know, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman to run for the Democratic nomination to be president. And she said, if they won't give you a seat at the table, bring your own folding chair. <laughs> and this, so the show is about, it's not about uh, not celebrating all the amazing men who've done great things, but it is about getting a bigger table and more chairs because the yeah. women were there too. You know, I am talking to Kate Moss. Kate Moss is going on the road <laughs> with Warrior Queens and Quiet Revolutionaries, how women also built the world. It kicks off in uh, Stafford on the 28th of February, going all, I mean, really all over the country. <laughs> I am. <laughs> uh, till you end up in Salford, <laughs> a grey husk. Yes. Grey husk of your former no, no, self <laughs> on April the 12th. <laughs> um, how are you getting around? Are you in the back of a nice big car? Uh, I Well, I regret to say that I'm not sure yet. Okay. We haven't yet had that discussion. No, I, I will, I'll travel with the, the guys. Um, in in the van with the props and the set and all of those kind of things. We're loading in Miss Moss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not very big. I'll fit in the back. It'll be absolutely fine. Uh, no, because, you know, I this is a brand new thing. No, new career in my 60s. Yeah. Uh, you know, you and I have just been talking about actually quite like getting older and choosing the things you do. You know, yeah. making a decision to have fun with this. And I don't know what it's going to be like. I, the show's going to be great. I don't know if... What, how good I'm going to be, but uh, everything else about the lights and the music and yeah, everything yeah, is going to yeah. be fantastic. But I just feel I, I kind of want the whole experience. So I, d I don't have a glamorous tour bus. And my main concern is making sure I've got my whole water bottle, frankly, because that's the key for me. It so will be cold backstage. It will be cold. <laughs> uh, and I'm going all over the shop, as you say. And have you talked to anyone about, you know, protecting your voice, doing vocal warm-ups, things like that? Well, my very wonderful uh, son, uh, Felix is um, has worked in music theatre um, and done all of those series, you know, Les Mis and oh, yeah. Aspects of Love and all of these things. So he's being really strict with me because he knows what I'm like because I love, I love visiting new places. He said, Mum, when you get somewhere, you mustn't go charging off and going and, you know, making friends with everybody and visiting the music, you know, everything. You need to be calm in the day to save yourself for the evening. Um, so I am taking that advice to heart, actually. Uh, the thing that's lovely is, you know, I live in Sussex and I've got friends who live in all sorts of places. And actually, I'm going to use it as an, an opportunity to see some old friends who live in different places. Not, no, I don't want know. to sound like your son. Oh, no. <laughs> But that sounds like trouble to me. Yes, well, you know, no, no, I'm, I, it's going to be strictly decaffeinated Earl Grey. OK. <laughs> no, and, nothing else. And, and they talk to you. They talk to me, <laughs> You yes, sit there I, quietly I there, yeah. while they get, get you up yeah, to speed on all you, their news. Well, you, have, you do those things, don't you? I'm on vocal rest. You have to stick a sort of thing on. <laughs> and, 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 see, and, you know, and your books have, all, you know, often ba they're based in fact. They're based on, on something true. But have you slightly fallen out of love with fiction or will you, you no, are you returning to fiction? No, no, no. I love making things up. I mean, because nobody can, can, can contradict you then, can they? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, no, I've just delivered on the, the beginning of January my next novel. Well, your lesbian um, pirate book. My lesbian pirates. Um, my publisher says that's not going to be the strapline. <laughs> <laughs> Another one said one of the lead characters prefers boats to blokes. We thought we might have that <laughs> as the, as the strapline. But in fact, it will obviously be a serious and principled uh marketing campaign. No, I love both, actually. I, I would never have had the chance to write this book, Warrior Queens, if it hadn't been for lockdown. Because it gave me the chance to look into my own family history. Because when I was looking into it, and a lot of this will come into the show as well, is that I was trying to find out my, my um, uh, long-lost ancestor, Lily Watson. And one of the things I discovered, and this is really spooky, is that her real name was Martha. Now, my daughter is Martha. 
Oh, wow. I know. All of these things. It's just, yeah. So it's just that I think whether I'm writing fiction or non-fiction, and you know, because you're a novelist yourself too, is it's about falling in love with that book. Um, and we all know that the book you're not writing is the book you're really interested in. But the one that you're, you're on a deadline, you're always like, oh. Um, but for me, fiction and non-fiction don't feel very different. They feel like that moment when you dive into a swimming pool and you're just in it, you know, you're under yeah. the surface of the water. Um, and the reason that I'm doing the show is that I feel that excitement, that adrenaline of can I do it? And I feel that at the beginning of every book, and I'm sure you do the same. You know, can I finish this book? Can I even start this book? And it sounds like at the end of this tour, after 30 dates, you will have another book with all these local heroes, local women who have... Well, do you know, I would... Well, what I would... I am very interested in, there are lots of women explorers in the book and lots of inventors and lots of travellers, and the show will have a bit of everything in precisely for that reason. Um, but I love... Bill Bryson's writings. Oh, yeah. And I am really... And I, I am terribly English um, in the things that are good about being English as opposed to the stuff that sometimes feels uncomfortable. And, you know, my, I, I, I like the idea, maybe, of writing something about travelling about. Because my first telly thing was I had a, a book show called The Readers and Writers Roadshow on BBC Four when it launched. Yeah. And we went all over the country and filmed in different places. And you re it made me realise that as an English person, you often don't, you, you, you never go north. I live in Sussex. We always went south. We went to the New Forest or France. That was it for our family holidays. We never went anywhere else. Got out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you're making up for it now. 31 dates all over the country, kicking off uh, 28th of February, uh, right till the 12th of April. Kate Boss, Warrior Queens of Quiet Revolutionaries, How Women Also Built the World. It sounds like a fascinating, uh, brilliant night. Thank you so much for coming in to see us, Kate Lovely Boss. Lovely to see you. And uh, bring us back with your lesbian pirates. Come I will, talk to I us. will. Yeah. Alright, Dr. Then. Oh, there's still more. Show chef Martha cooks up gunpowder nachos and a chocolate mousse. And we play a brand new game. It includes a bow and arrow. But first, let's catch up with Ben Daniels. Hello. Hello, Graham. Uh, so you've started previews. Yeah, yeah, we started on, we had a public dress on Thursday. First preview Friday and second one was yesterday. And how's it going so far? It's going really well. <laughs> I mean, surprisingly. Um, but, you know, we're sort of in previews, so it's still being honed. That yeah, step yeah. from the rehearsal room into the theatre is always like a kind of big leap. But it's going well, I think. And so, so obviously, Sophie Okonedo, she plays Medea. Uh -huh. You play, do you play everyone else? I play all the men. There are, there are four other women in it, and I play all the male parts. And that came from the idea that when these plays were originally done back, I mean, this is like two and a half thousand years old, this play. So when it was originally done, they did it with two or three people when there was lots of kind of face coverings. To, mask work. To yeah. Mask work. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of that. Oh, love the mask work. So we've kind of like updated that really. You know, when it came through as an idea, like so, Sophie I've known for like nearly 30 years, you know, with kind of like an old married couple really. Yeah, yeah. And she called and said, like, I'm doing this workshop. We'd really like you to come and play all the men. And I was like, oh, okay, all right then. So I went and did this workshop and then I was like, oh no, okay, this could be quite good fun. So there's those and then there's, there's also like a sixth character that's like a kind of 
patriarchal energy force. I never leave the stage, so I do every every all the characters come out from this other character that's on stage. And as you say, uh, play two and a half thousand years old, mm. Euripides, I believe. Euripides, Euripides yes. Uh, but uh, but this is ad- adapted. So how it adapted? Is. I mean, so is it like a brand new play? N- no. Well, this this adaptation was was written in the forties, just oh. post Second World War. Yeah, I've uh, and this, it's yeah. It, this incredible uh, American poet called Robinson Jeffers, who a uh, catchy name, uh, who um, uh, you know used a lot of of war imagery that was around at that time. But it's incredibly poetic. But it sounds like people speaking. It's the most incredible translation. It's ninety minutes long. We play it all with no interval, and so it just kind of it's like a it's, it plays out like a psychological horror film. It's like a Hitchcock film. Yeah, and um, you know it's, it is incredibly shocking. Still, two and a half thousand years later, there's like an awful, awful silence at the end that we found where people actually don't want to applaud. I mean, it just it really takes its toll on you as an audience member. Come and see it. Good fun. But <laughs> But how much of it? How much of the the horror uh, unfolds on stage? None. It's Greek, so it all happens off stage. But the off stage life is really, really evident, and the sound design in this brand new theatre is just incredible. So they can do lots of amazing stuff technically, and um, uh, I, you know there are people that don't know the story, but it is it, it is very, very shocking. And the child actors that we have in the show are completely brilliant. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Yeah. Oh, it was so fun. Valentine's night should be a treat. <laughs> Darling, yeah. we're going to see Medea. Especially if you've had a row with your partner. <laughs> you can see how that unfolds. Yeah, it'd be quite quiet. It'd be even quieter on Valentine's night. <laughs> is that us? Is that us, that is? <laughs> and this idea of playing all the men, I mean, how distinct are they? I mean, do you, do you actually do mask work? No, I, I, there are slight costume changes and I've worked with an amazing movement person called Lucy Collingford who, um, um, you know, right from the outset when I knew I was doing it, I said my big fear would be like going on and off in like wigs and noses. And <laughs> <laughs> <had> funny accents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so it all happens on stage. You see me do it. It's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's not hidden at all and is part and incorporated into the production. Okay. In a kind of very kind of clever way. It's very theatrical, but... And I'm um, right thinking, this the- is this theatre always in the round or is this production just in the round? I think, I believe you can configure it in any way, but it's, it's, it's brand new. And so I, it's only been in the round so far, I think. But it's this, uh, it's a wonderful new space that Nika Burns... Um, she sort of went to every theatre practitioner and said, if you were building a theatre, what would you put in it? And so the acoustics are incredible. The seating's amazing. Backstage is just luxurious for yeah. a West End theatre. Um, it's it's a really, really thrilling theatre. I mean, it must be weird to be in a theatre where, there, you know, it's not all scuffed up and scuzzy and the ghosts I of know. the past. It must be very odd. And Sophie and um, myself, we knew that we were going to do Medea there, so we went in hard hats. We were the first people that stole the stage. It was like in the middle of it of a building site, really, and it was really exciting. We just got like really like keyed up. Yeah, you love to start the graffiti in the stairwell and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's your job. And <laughs> um, um, now, in terms of this show in the West End, mm. is this your first theatre since everything shut down and all of that sort of stuff? No, I did Normal Heart in 2021 at the National 
also with Dominic Cook, directed, oh, wow. you know. And I hadn't done a play for 10 years. Um, I, um, I, I, I was doing a, a play on Broadway, an old farce, and I had such an awful time doing it. It was like the cake mixture went horribly wrong. <laughs> One of the actors went crazy, someone was fired. It, it was horrible, you know, what was kind of like a little light piece of froth turned into this awful <laughs> nightmare. And so I just thought, I can't, I can't do any theatre unless I really, really, really want to do oh, it. Isn't that terrible? So it just mm. put you off? It just put me off. I mean, I knew that I was going to do Dom, uh, uh, Dominic Cook's Normal Heart because when I was doing the TV show that I turned down, um, he said, actually, my, I wonder if that was all linked in because, you know, Normal Heart is about someone that refuses to accept no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at the end of that, he said, do you want to do a play called Normal Heart? And I said, yeah, but that was... So it was seven years it took to finally get it on at the National. And also... To- get you past your fear of <laughs> being yeah. part of a company. Yeah. But it and is being in a play because obviously in a, you know you'll always work with people you like more than other people. Yeah. Is it is it easier to do a TV show with someone you don't like than a play? Uh yes. <laughs> But basically, yes, yeah. it is because you can you just don't see them all the time. When when you do a play, you know you rehearse so intensely with someone for four or five weeks, and then you see them every day, and you have to trust them implicitly on stage. And Sophie, I trust with my life. I've known her for thirty years, like I said, and we just we see each other all the time. We don't primarily we don't live in London. We live in the country, but fifteen minutes away from each other, so oh, we wow. see each other all the time. We you know FaceTime about six times a week. And did you go to drama school together? No, no, we met. Um, she she told me this. Remind me of this story the other day. We we were both with the same agent back in the. It was back in the day when we smoked, and I gave her a cigarette in my agent's office, and she was in the middle of doing a workshop with a director that I knew, and she went back to this director and said, oh, "I've just met the man I'm going to marry." <laughs> and um, and th- in those days there were these things called spotlights, which oh, yeah, these the- huge, massive tones that I had all our headshots in. Yeah, and um, she got it down and went, "Look, it's Ben Daniels," and the director went, "Hmm." think you might want to rethink your marriage proposal. <laughs> You're not quite his type. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. But, you know, we have become like an old married yeah. couple since And, then, and so. he saved her a lot of heartache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very, very quickly. Very yeah. quickly. That's all good. Um, and uh, the, the show, you run till... Is it April you're running till? Yeah, April 22nd, I think. What, that's a good. That's a good old long. It's ten weeks we're on yeah. for. Yeah, yeah long run. Like, yeah, proper West Endy Greek. And I mean, I don't want to say it's easier for you, <laughs> but I imagine uh, nipping around playing uh, five men is easier than Sophie. Sophie's got to do Medea. I yes, mean, she has, and she is absolutely extraordinary. It's just one of those parts that you know requires a certain skill set, and she's um, such a visceral, raw truthful performer it's like every second is filled it's just and do you worry do you worry for her in that um no because she's like a fantastic professional she knows exactly what she's doing so so she just comes off but we do actually have they have employed a counselor if we because it's quite dark the play and it it gets (laughs) very 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 intense by the end so they have actually employed a counselor that um, we can go and see if we want to. Wow. Which is very sweet of them. I mean... And I guess, you, do you have to worry about the kids? Nah. 
They're stage kids. They're stage, tough as old boots. Yeah. yeah. Gin and lemonade. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, I jest. That is not happening. Uh, Medea, it is at the Soho Place. You get tickets at SohoPlace.org. That correct? Correct. Yeah. Soplace.org. It's this fabulous new theatre. It's the first new theatre in I don't know how many years. It's 50 been, years. Yeah, that's been built in the West End. Uh, Medea is the name of the show. Ben Daniels, thank you so much for coming in to see us. Pleasure. And uh, delighting you. us with some uh, Kate Bush. Uh, very nice to hear that. Uh, now go lie down with a wet rag on your head. Are you uh, on tomorrow night? Uh, yes. Okay. I'm going to binge the entire Happy Valley season three today. Ooh. It's like a little light relief. Oh, I'm, it is. Compared to Medea, it is. I'm jealous of you. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Yay! We missed you. Oh, I thank you. I missed you too. Well, my stomach missed you. Really. <laughs> my blood sugar. You've been was hungry flu- all week. Yeah, my blood sugar was <laughs> fluctuating wildly. I slumped into a coma by the last half hour. Uh, do you know what? I was nervous of this, but it smells so delicious. Oh, thank uh, you. What have you made for us? So this is gunpowder paneer nachos with mango avocado salsa and a minted sour cream. And what best of all, you've made a right trough of it. I mean, this, it, that is a lot of food. I've made a lot of this. Yep. I mean, you think Valentine's, you think <laughs> small for two. But actually, I like this. It's breaking the mould. It's saying have all your friends round. Have a Galentine's or a Palentine's or whatever you're doing. Have nachos. I could probably dive eat that by myself. <laughs> Saying that, I did demolish this whole thing with my husband last night between oh, the, two, oh, so see, it works. There you go. So it, it, it is a Valentine's It works. You can manage it. <laughs> I mean, I, the big question, I suppose, for people is how hot is this? It can be. It can be controlled. It's it's got spice. <laughs> controlled substance. It, it can be controlled. <laughs> I did think it was funny because I think gunpowder is probably one of the most unromantic things you could possibly serve up on Valentine's Day. Um, but the waitress cooks ingredients gunpowder, spice, and it's Kashmiri chilli, but it's also got kind of other spices and it's kind of sweet and smoky. So it's not that kind of arresting, oh my goodness, give me some milk spice. Yes. It's a nice warming spice and you can add a little bit more to the top if you love it spicy, but it should be acceptable to most people. <laughs> We'll find out. And the and the the salsa is in it, or is it you have is that on the side? So the salsa's on top. In it is kind of this lovely chickpea, kind of almost like a chickpea curry. And then it's got paneer on top. This is it's it's called nachos, but it's really an entire meal. Yes, I was going to say. It, I mean, that looks like a meal. Yeah. It's got a kind of a cash. It's got a chickpea curry. It's got lovely cubes of fried paneer with garlic and curry leaves on the top. It's got cheese in there in between, and. The little tortilla chips have been cut into heart shapes. Oh, <laughs> we'll find out how to do that because I, everyone would like to make nacho <laughs> chips into heart shapes. This is, it's, I think you've judged the spice level. Absolutely right. Oh, I thank you. It's got a bit of a kick, but it doesn't leave you gasping <laughs> or feeling like, oh, I might have to see a doctor. Uh, so uh, how do we start? How do we make this? So we're going to start. You want to soak the paneer. So paneer is a lovely Indian cheese, slightly similar to halloumi, but less salty. Um, so we add lots of flavour to the outside of that. We're going to slice it up, leave it to soak in a bowl. Then mm-hmm. we are going to do our tortillas next. So to make them into lovely little heart shapes, this is optional. Obviously, you can just leave them in traditional wedges if you'd rather. But you want to take your kind of plain white tortillas, stack them up on top of each other and then cut them up like you would a pizza into wedges. And then take a stack of little triangles and some scissors and just carve the other end, not the pointy end, the, the fat end, 
into a little heart shape. <laughs> Do they not fall apart in your hand? No, they they are they're quite robust. They can cut like you're doing a little bit of craft. Okay. <laughs> like you're making one of those snowflakes out of a yeah, doily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you cut them into little heart shapes, put them onto a baking tray, brush with a bit of oil and put those in the oven to bake. If you wanted to make this recipe quicker, you could just use a packet of tortilla chips rather than making them from scratch, but it's kind of fun to cut the little shapes and all that kind of thing. Okay. You're going to cook those, then we are going to make this lovely chickpea tomato salsary saucy thing so we're going to fry off some garlic with the um, gunpowder spice and some curry leaves until it's nice and fragrant add in a can of tomatoes a can of chickpeas season well and leave to bubble away then we are going to make a salsa so we're going to chop up some mango some avocado some red onion in a separate bowl give that a mix then it's a matter of laying layering up so we're going to take the cooked nachos yep. put on top of that some chickpea of some of the chickpea sauce a little bit of cheddar cheese, so we're using mild say, yes, cheddar. I thought there was some other cheese in there. Yeah, <laughs> there was some cheese in there. It's mild cheddar, which I'll be honest, I never ever buy because in my mind, cheddar should always be, you know, packing a flavour punch. But actually, in this recipe, it's really good because you don't want the cheddar to be the star. You want that lovely cheesy pull and the stretch and the bind, but you don't want that flavour. Yeah. So, works really well. So we layer up the chickpeas, cheddar, some more nacho chips, bit more chickpeas, bit more cheddar. Put that in the oven for five minutes to become nice and melty. And when it comes out, we top it with that salsa, fry off the little paneer cubes till they're nice and crispy. And Jane Hornby in her recipe says, you'll know the paneer is ready when it starts shuffling about in the pan. And I thought, really? And it does. <laughs> what does that mean? And it does. <laughs> you can hear it just like, because it gets so crispy that it starts to move around the pan. Wow. <laughs> it was quite exciting, to be honest. That, that is exciting. <laughs> it's like, um, what, what, it's like Celeriac squeaks. Have you ever cooked celeriac? <gasps> no, not, yeah. not until it squeaks. It squeaks. Wow. Yeah. I need to do this. There you go. Food that sings. It's there great. There you go. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, uh, what a treat. Um, and actually, quite a nice Sunday night. Do you know what? You could have this on the couch while you're watching the Brits tonight. Oh, yes. You could have a kind of a long dinner while yeah. you're watching the Brits. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And if you want to make it, if you're doing it for a whole family and people don't like spice, um, Jane suggests using mild curry powder instead of the gunpowder and then just serving it up with some fresh chilli so you can add to your taste. Okay. It's gunpowder paper paneer nachos with mango avocado salsa and minted sour cream. The recipe's by Jane Hornby. Uh, you can find that recipe along with all of Martha's recipes at our Waitrose hub. Head to waitrose.com slash showchef and you can find it there. You can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK and then you'll see a lovely picture of what Martha has made. Martha. Ding, ding. No trolley today, just a beautiful marble slab. <laughs> I know. The trolley's actually gone missing in action. So no. I, they obviously want me to use my arm, so I'm good at firing that arrow later. It's a good bit of training. Uh, put the call out. Put the call out. Uh, trolley thief. Trolley thief. No, has the trolley really gone missing? My favourite trolley has gone missing. There's a few other options, but, you know, they none of them felt right. Where the hell has that gone? Between yesterday and today? I don't know. This building is like a, a maze sometimes. Like, no. I, I'd like to go to the bottom of this. Who the hell stole our trolley? But, you know, I understand during the week things go on, but no one was... There was nothing that required trolley action yesterday. I know. Outrageous. Martha's trolley. <laughs> uh, anyway, luckily, today, it's a lovely light thing you've made, so you were able to use your arms, saving exactly. saving your strength for the arrow for the, <laughs> the arrow later, the bow and arrow later. So what have you made today? So today, a lovely dessert for Valentine's Day. It is the best chocolate mousse. So a ah. recipe I've written researching chocolate mousses and trying to find one that I think takes so, the boxes. All the best. So I love when you do this. So this is when you've researched lots and lots of recipes. So what are the 
what are the things that have to happen and what were the variations that you were playing with? So you have to have air, obviously, in a chocolate mousse. And, and chocolate. Air and chocolate. And, and chocolate. You are <laughs> correct here. And actually, chocolate mousse doesn't have that many ingredients. Classical chocolate mousse can literally be eggs, chocolate and water. So you can make it... I was going to say vegan, not vegan. No. <laughs> Egg is very clearly not. <laughs> you can make it dairy-free if you use the right kind of dark chocolate. Um, but my variation has got cream in there because I think it adds a lovely richness. But yeah, you, I tried variations with using just eggs, just egg yolks, just egg whites, different kinds of chocolate, different things in the bottom. I've gone for a little naughty layer of salted caramel in the bottom mm. of mine. Because everyone loves chocolate, but chocolate after chocolate after chocolate can be a little a little on the boring side. So why not spice it up with a little layer yeah. of something in the bottom there? And once somebody's mastered this recipe, can you then replace the chocolate and make it lots of different sorts of mousses? Um, I would say chocolate mousse is quite a set recipe just because of the kind of fat content in the chocolate and the sugar, whereas fruit mousse would fall slightly differently. Sometimes you need gelatin and things like that to make oh. a fruit mousse set because chocolate, when it's room temperature, is hard. It kind of balances itself traps those little air bubbles yeah so i think stick with chocolate you could probably use milk but i think dark is the nicest in this because you just need a little bit of sugar and then you can serve it with other sweet things rather than just having this big mouthful of sugar <laughs> uh, talking a big mouthful i mean you you're a sir it's quite a coop it's quite a coop of mousse there <laughs> exactly i mean the recipe technically serves two to three but i thought if there's ever a day to be generous with your portion sizes it's valentine's day yes so why not put it i got these lovely little fluted coupe glasses from waitrose as i was picking up my ingredients i saw them there and i thought right they'll be perfect for my mousse and i think they look really nice no and you presented them beautifully on the marble slab oh, yeah <laughs> there will be there will be a photograph later uh, <laughs> online at virgin radio uk uh, right okay let's find out how to make martha's the best chocolate mousse Let's go. So yeah, are, <laughs> let's go. Okay. There are two things I hate when making chocolate mousse, and I'm, or when any recipe, to be fair, which is A, lots of mess, and B, lots of waste. So with my recipe, I've tried to keep it down to a minimum of two bowls because some mousse recipes you read, they genuinely require every ingredient to be whisked in a different bowl or melted in a different bowl. And no, nobody's no, doing that. No, no one's doing that. <laughs> By the way, I didn't mention it. It is delicious. Oh, thank you. It's really gorgeous. I don't want to spoil some of the surprises. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but it really, really works. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, even I, though, uh, stepped, I had to step away. It did physically step away. Oh, yeah, because I, I'd, <laughs> had, me, I'd, take had it away from me. I'd had enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're keeping a mess to a minimum. So how do we start? So we're going to melt chocolate in a heat-proof bowl. And make sure you pick a big one because we're going to use this to mix all the rest of it. But it only makes two to three portions, so we're not... You're not needing anything huge. Mm -hmm. um, melt your chocolate, then leave it to cool slightly. Then we're going to take one egg and separate it white in one bowl, and then the yolk goes into the chocolate once it's cooled slightly. Mm -hmm. Mix that together. It will thicken quite a lot, but it's okay. We're going to loosen it up later. Okay. Whisk your egg using an electric mixer or your the arm if white. you're... The egg white, sorry, the, yes. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're extra strong, you could use your arm, but if not, take a little hand blend, hand whisker to that. Yeah, come on, yeah. Whisk that till it makes lovely stiff peaks. Then we're adding one tablespoon of sugar. Give it another quick whisk, make it glossy. Then fold a little bit of the egg white through the chocolate mixture to loosen it and then mm -hmm. fold all the rest of it through. You get okay. this kind of light-looking chocolate pile. Then in the same bowl that you whisk the egg, don't wash it up, don't wash up the whisk, pour the cream in, whisk that. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. that gets folded through your mousse as well. And we're aiming to keep as much air as possible. So just make sure you keep 
folding it as gently as you can until there's no big streaks of cream and there's no little pockets of egg white and it's lovely and smooth. Then we're going to divide that between our little glasses. I actually did sneak in a tablespoon of Bailey's at the Ooh. end there as well. Oh, nice. Because a little bit of extra indulgence. Yeah, you could yeah, use yeah, yeah, amaretto, yeah. you could use all sorts of different liqueurs in that. Divide it between your glasses, put a layer of salted caramel at the bottom. Or this is a great recipe to be creative. Like You can use different things in the, as the bottom layer. So I love to do something like a mango and passion fruit coulis and then put a little Ooh, bit of yes. passion fruit on the top. Or you can do a layer of hazelnutty spread and some hazelnuts on top. All sorts of different options there. Nice idea. And then on top... And then on top, a little sprinkle of salt because chocolate and salt are a marriage made in heaven and it brings out so much of the complex flavours in the chocolate when you just have that little bit of kind of difference on top. Yeah, I must say, I think the salt made all the difference. Actually, the salted caramel also made a big difference. Well. I mean, yeah, we've got yeah. Double, <laughs> a double whammy, a sandwich of salt around yeah. our chocolate mousse, but it really works and it also looks lovely. When you look at it, it catches the light. It makes it look a bit special. Yeah. Yeah, and they go, what's that? <laughs> Someone's put salt on my chocolate mousse. Uh, your mug. <laughs> no, it's really lovely. Very, very nice. And do you know what? You have made that sound very achievable. Oh, good. Yeah. That's how it should be. Because mousse is one of those kind of fancy French desserts that people think I could never do that. But actually, you can. And this makes portion for two, but I also sometimes make mousse for ten. Just you do the same ingredients, but scale them up and then serve it in one big serving bowl. And everyone can take a big scoop. All round to Martha's. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to find that recipe or indeed any of Martha's recipe, just go to our hub on the Waitrose website, waitrose.com slash showchef. Uh, you can also check out the recipe visually on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, have a lovely week, Martha, and I'll see you back here next weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, it's time for our Waitrose Cupid Arrow competition. Uh, someone is about to get the chance to win either a Waitrose Valentine meal deal or £500 to spend at Waitrose. Uh, we've got Jane on the line, I believe. Hello. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm very well. Where are you, Jane? I'm in Hexterville in Kent. And what are you up to this Sunday? This Sunday, I was just about to take the dog for a walk, but... Um... I've decided to wait in and wait to speak to you. Oh, and look, it happened. You registered and now you're on the air. Now, all, oh, I, know. I know, it's all good. You are going to win, well, hopefully you're going to win something. First, you've got to answer a little question, okay? Okay. So, uh, uh, now, think about it. This is our Valentine's okay. Day competition. It's a Valentine's Day competition. So, complete the title of this wet, wet, wet song. Blank is all around. Is it A, air, B, grass, C, love? I think that's got to be sea love, Graham. Are oh, you right? Ten times. Ten times here at the tower. You are correct. Well Yay! done. <laughs> okay, now here's the exciting bit. Now, Martha, are you ready? I can't. I mean, Jane, if you knew the production values going on here, there's an actual target. <laughs> Martha has a, a really a lethal looking bow and arrow. Sizable. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're hoping for £500, but uh, you are going to get something. Here we go. Oh, Come amazing. on, Martha. 500 quid. 500 quid. 500. What did that hit? I think that was 500. I think that, that hit 500. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> yes, you've got 500 quid. Thank you so much, Martha. I know. I mean, she is very good. She's very good. Uh, congratulations. Do you have a waitrose near you in Hextable? I beg your pardon. Sorry, Graham. Do you have a waitrose near you in Hextable? I do. I do. Well, yes. isn't that ideal? Uh, people will be pointing at you, going, oh, "There's that Jane. There's that Jane that won the five hundred quid." <laughs> um, is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the air? 
Well, my husband, Mark, wish him happy Valentine's Day. And my children, Matt, Charlotte, her husband, Aaron, and my beautiful grandson, Arthur. Aww. And that was a sound effect. I wasn't blowing kisses at your beautiful grandson, Arthur. What's the name of your dog? Um, Oscar. Oscar. Lovely. Well, you go walk, uh, Oscar, with a spring in your step. What oh, a good thank Sunday. Thank you so much. I thank know. Thank you so much. 500 quid. Yeah, have a lovely, lovely Sunday and uh, have a nice Valentine's Day uh, on Tuesday. Take care of yourself now. Congratulations. Bye bye. Bye bye. And a big thank you to Martha for, uh, honestly, two days in a row. My accuracy has improved. I know the Olympic team <laughs> cannot be far away. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Uh, congratulations to Jane in Kent there, who has £500 to spend at Waitrose. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on all of our socials? We're also on TikTok. I know. Just look up Virgin Radio UK on all platforms to see everything from gorgeous dishes to Graham's guides. For now, speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.